Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección Welcome back to the Peruvian Waltz podcast. I'm your host, Peter Galindo. No Brian Birdie because he is sleep deprived, so we've been kind enough to give him the week off. However, I am joined by Christopher Viscardo as usual. Uh, how are you doing, Christopher? I'm doing well. Let's clarify, just in case that Brian, for some reason, is listening. We're giving him the night off. We're not giving him the week off because uh, there is a lot of work that needs to be done uh, as we're coming into this uh, the, this um, FIFA friendlies um, time period. So, but anyway, see. He knows what I'm saying. I'm, I'm doing well here in Utah, as usual, ready to talk some Peruvian soccer. Awesome. And down to the land down under where Michelle Morris joins us. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing, Michelle, on this fine? I, I think it's Wednesday afternoon now. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, it's Wednesday, which is weird. <laughs> in the future. Yeah. You can, you can let us know what, what happens over the next, like, 12, 14 hours um, <laughs> as we miss anything. Um, let's begin, guys, with the best awards. Um, no, not like the best awards. I'm talking about the FIFA ceremony. I hate that name so much. Yes. But I digress. Peruvian fans won the award for best fans of 2018. So it's all the national team fans encompassing the March friendlies, the, the pre-World Cup friendlies, and then of course the World Cup itself where we saw more than 40,000 Peruvians take over the cities where Peru was playing their World Cup games. Um... I guess let's just get our general thoughts on this. Um, Christopher, do you think that this was A, deserved, and B, what do you think this will do for the fan base in the future? I think that we need to put some qualifiers to this award. First of all, this is an award more, mostly, mostly those that attended the World Cup, right? And the crowds that Peru attracted to the World Cup and the crowds that Peru attracted in the leads to the World Cup and the friendlies that happened in, in March and, and April and, and May and so forth. Um, this is not an award for, for Peruvian fans since the dawn of time, right? right? This is an award for this year, for we have, what we have been able to accomplish, for the feelings that we have been able to express as fans around the world to other people that didn't know where Peru was on the map. Uh, it talking, you know, soccer-wise, but also very much ge geography-wise. Um, I think because of that, most of the criticisms that I've heard regarding the award are, to me, um, kind of something that needs to be disregarded. Uh, at the same time, let's do hope that this award is a catalyst for us to be able to... Um, make something, reinvent ourselves, uh, create a new culture in which we pride ourselves for, you know, being someone that's willing to support a national team and willing to, you know, bring happiness uh, to the pitch, to the, to the stadiums. Uh, you know, some, a, a more of a, well, what I would hope of a more of a family friendly uh, kind of atmosphere. I think that would be a very healthy culture for us to develop. Um, I think that that would really help uh, with many of the problems that we have seen in Peruvian soccer. I mean, obviously, we just saw 
problems last week. Mm -hmm. This this week we also commemorated the the unfortunate events of 2011 in which a fan died during an Alianza Lima La U uh, match um, at Monumental. And, and those are things, you know, the no awards, it's like trying to cover, you know, cover the sun. There's there's nothing that you can put up there that's actually going to cover the whole problem, right? It's not like, okay, well, the, we're going to ignore all the, all the violence that's happened in the past. But hopefully this can be, you know, for those that like video games, a checkpoint, uh, a restart, a uh, refounding of, of our soccer culture uh, and something that we can look, you know, Look, look to with pride uh, in the future. Really good point on that, um, especially just the the overall problems you see domestically. Uh, fans don't really want to go to the stadiums because it's not really family friendly. I've had many people living in, even in Lima, who previously used to be very much diehard supporters of La U or Alianza, who just refuse to go to games now because they just say it's not safe and or it's inaccessible. Um, Ticketing prices, they say, sometimes uh, affects that. But for the most part, they can afford the tickets. It's just a matter of they don't want to go. In terms, though, of the national team fans, uh, Michelle, you obviously live in Australia. When Peru was playing um, New Zealand in that playoff, there were many fans who traveled from Australia to New Zealand. I'm sure there were many in Sydney and, and in other Australian cities who, who obviously – maybe got together and watched the games. Uh, from your point of view, do you think that uh, Peruvian fans, A, showed themselves well, and B, um, just in terms of follow-up to Christopher, um, do you think that you agree with him in terms of it's not just the national team fans who who need to be these vociferous, diehard fans, it's, it's every Peruvian football fan? So I'll start with, you know, traveling fans from Sydney and stuff. Because I know that I went to... Um, so in Sydney, we had a, a, a meetup before the New Zealand game and it was under the Harbour Bridge. It was very um, beautiful. It was a great day. And <laughs> we just literally got there and I didn't know that there were so many Peruvians in this city. Um, <laughs> like literally, just because it's like no one does anything, you know, and for one, it's like a lot of people who come here, they come here and then try to assimilate to, to the culture of being Australian. Mm -hmm. And so... One of the things that we talked about when we were traveling to New Zealand was um, that the Kiwis are nice people, right? And they're, they're different to Australians in the sense that Australians tend to be very arrogant, um, and especially when it comes to, like, sports and stuff. And so when we went to New Zealand, it was like, let's just treat them with respect. Let's treat them, um, you know, as just decent human beings. This this game is essentially just going to be like a fun moment for all of us. Let's just enjoy it. Um, and then they were also going on to say that a lot of the Peruvian fans from Peru that are coming to New Zealand won't understand that the culture in Australia and New Zealand is very different and that <laughs> people tend to be a lot more relaxed in these countries. Um, and so... I think that the Peruvian fans from Australia, from New Zealand were so cool because they were the nicest people that like I had ever met. And like, we were just all hanging out. I didn't know anybody there. I went by myself with <laughs> like some family friends and I stayed in a two star hostel um, <laughs> with the fire alarm going off twice. Oh, 
Um, and then the night before I got there, they had the police raid the place. So, you know, I wasn't staying in like some fancy place, but I wasn't there most of the time. I was out on the streets just like partying with all these Peruvians and stuff. So it was just, a, I think in that sense, the Peruvian fans really showed themselves as like really cool, fun people who just really just wanted to enjoy this game, just something that they hadn't been able to enjoy for a long time. Um, in terms of if the fans should be like fans of not just the national team, but of the leagues, I think so. Like, and it's the same problem that we have here in Australia. It's people want to support the national team because you know that it's, it's a bigger deal. Um, but the leagues don't, don't do as well. Stadiums too far away. Stadiums are too big. They make the people who look there look like it's empty, um, ticket prices and, um, I guess for for Peru, it's a, a case of safety. You know, it's a matter of safety. Like, it's not safe to go to the games. Here it's different. Like, you know, you can go to the games and bring a baseball bat and no one will say anything. Because um, <laughs> no one will care. <laughs> they will be like, oh, this guy's just going to play some baseball. That's nice. You know, <laughs> no, one, no one cares here. Um, but... You know what I mean? So it's like there's this whole safety issue. Um, and I think that comes down to Peru's culture as well. Like, how do you fix that? Yeah, definitely yeah. a huge, huge issue. Um, and I mean, when you also have these, I don't want to call them criminals, but people who I think have other interests, quote unquote, outside of watching the actual football, um, who attend these games and are a part of the Barras. Um, look, I guarantee you that the Alianza fan who drew a gun at that Cristal Alianza match was not like what you would consider a, a, a diehard, fervent football and Alianza fan. He was probably just yeah. there to cause trouble. Mm. Um, and that's a huge part of it, right? And I think additionally as well, and I think people seem to forget about this, people really don't, I mean, we're different because we talk about it, we cover it, me, me specifically, because I'm in sports journalism and I have to cover all sorts of football. Um, but the average person might not really be that big of a fan. And so they'll latch onto the big events because other people right. are also participating in it. Right. Mm. Um, when I was in Lima last year, I believe it was in uh, August and September. I was there for the Bolivia and Ecuador matches. Every member of my family came over. We, we had a huge party. We watched the matches uh, on the big screen outside on the patio and it was, it, it was obviously a party. It was an event. Um, not everybody there was a big football fan, but they support the national team when it's important and or when they are playing a big match. And mm. I think that's the case for a lot of people. They might support the national team when the occasion calls for it, but when it comes to the domestic game, they might just not be interested. Um, and I think that's on the league to maybe market itself a bit better, try to get fans to go to the stadium we see Real Garcilaso letting kids in for free. Um, they're charging like what, five soles for a ticket, four or five soles for a ticket. Um, oh th that's a good way to start, right? Yeah. Um, get those those families, those the average football fan to go to the stadium and maybe they'll eventually go again, right? And maybe they will become fans. Um, I think it's just a slow process. And maybe the fact that Peru made the World Cup might be a, big motivator for these people to eventually uh, start supporting Peruvian football more. Um, Cause I'm sure that will be a huge, huge uh, effect going forward. It's not like the quality isn't there. Like 
I'm, I mean, if I can watch it from Australia, like, and be entertained by it, I think that says a lot. Um, so it's not like there's no quality in the game. I think that there's a lot of leagues where you could watch it and then just be like, this sucks. And, and that's why people don't go. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it, it is a marketing issue that they have. Um, and I think once they can start marketing the game properly, like, you know, people will start going. Definitely. Yeah, let me add another two cents in there. Um, I, I think that, that that soccer teams do need to have that intergenerational uh, um, marketing uh, plan. If you think about it, the reason why we get introduced to certain teams is most of the time because of something that happened in their childhood. You know, your your dad, your mom, your grandpa, you know, was a, an Alianza fan, so therefore you're an Alianza fan. I mean, I, I very vividly, distinctly remember seeing Sporankas at seven years old in the stadium, right? Um, I, I, you know, I remember the 2004 Copa America, I was six or seven, that was played in Peru. I mean, events like those, um, and and it is it is worrying if, if families no longer feel safe at stadiums, and that means that the full football culture is going to move towards something a little more sketchy, a little more criminal per se, you know, because those are going to be the ones that are passing on that culture. So therefore, the more that teams can do, uh, I think, the, I mean, I don't know how it is uh, for you, Peter, in Canada, but in the United mm -hmm. States, uh, you know, sporting events are, are, first of all, like an entertainment event right. right with the mascots with the fireworks with the cheerleaders with the prices you know <laughs> with the silly people at halftime you know the the you know the super bowl has does a halftime show right i i my my theory and why why uh sporting events became such entertainment events in the first place is because baseball is so long and americans got bored like back in the <laughs> 1920s so they were like if we're going to be here four hours might as well make it fun Right, and then it's carried over since then into the other events, right? Uh, and so, hardcore soccer fans don't like that because they say, you know, the game is, you know, we're here for the game, we're not here for the fireworks. But it's like, you know what? That's how you get the families. That's how you get the kids. Because if you invest in the kids, if you give them free tickets, these are going to be season ticket holders in 15 years from now, in 20 years from now. Um, so it, but so anyways, I just wanted to reinforce that 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 point. And uh, to me, you know, racing ticket prices might even be an option. That means if that means that certain hooligans can no longer afford tickets. I mean, you you have to play you have to play things right. Yeah, there's a lot of engineering and design that would go behind it. But I think that you know, if the between the police, the politics, the clubs, the fans, if everybody gets together. We could come up with some uh, ingenious solutions that would that would help uh, Peru. Definitely. I mean, we could go on for I'm sure hours and hours about yeah. this because there's so many underlying issues like the policing. Um, you know, obviously the owners really just laundering money into these clubs to make sure that they don't have to like pay extra taxes, that sort of thing. Right. I mean, we could go down a huge rabbit hole. Um, why don't we switch focus to more topics on the pitch? Um, because the latest Peru squad is going to be announced at the end of this week. We're not going to predict 
the, the roster because I don't think there's much point considering it'll be out in a couple days. But there are four potentially tantalizing call-ups that could make the squad according to reputable reports in Peru. Uh, the four names are as follows. Christian Benevente, Alexander Cayens, uh, Jordi Reina, and Irvin Avila. Uh, so a couple of surprises and maybe a couple of it's about time, quote unquote, situations. Um, but which of these names is the most intriguing to you for better or worse? We'll start with you, Michelle. Um, well, I don't really know a lot of names to be fair, but I know Benevente. Um, and I think that's a, he seems like a good player. And I think it's cool to for him to get a maybe call up is what I feel like we should call it. Um, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I guess uh, that's cool. Um, I think it's always good to introduce new players to the squad, though. So um, I would be happy with new players. All right. And Christopher? Well, for, first of all, I think with my my biggest surprise is probably Irvin Avila. I think that he's having a pretty decent campaign. I think he, that in a way they might see him as, as Ruidia's successor at Monarcas. And uh, obviously Monarcas has made a huge investment in Peruvian players. Uh, considering that he's one out of three playing in that team at the moment. Uh, I understand that Gareca is looking for a forward, is looking for a, a natural replacement to Paolo Guerrero. I unfortunately do not think that Irvin Avila is the answer. It feels to me kind of like a patch on the problem. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's give this a try kind of thing, mostly because of his age. I would prefer someone 25 and down. You know, someone that's going to give the national team um, the next two World Cup qualifying campaigns that can offer that. Uh, that's what I would like to see as our, our new nine. But I understand how, you know, he's he's having a good season. Why not give him a chance? You know, why not give him uh, the opportunity to show us what he's got? Um, I am a little surprised with Jordi Reina. Although I personally have always been a big fan of Jordi Reina. Mm -hmm. I know that there was some le legal troubles with him that honestly, I personally don't think are his fault, but things have cooled down. And if anything, he has the advantage over Irwin Avila in that his, he is a bit younger, right? And, and during the 2014, 2015, he and Benavente were, were, were both the future promises of, of, um, Peruvian soccer. I'm, it comes to mind a uh, game against Costa Rica, if I'm not mistaken, at the end of 2013 or beginning of 2014, in which each one of them scores a goal. And people are saying, these guys are it, right? <laughs> so, and I mean, they had, they, had a, they had a great, you know, the 2013 team that represented us at the U20s is still my favorite team of all time. Yeah, great team. Uh, it's a great team. And, and so honestly, I think they have much to offer uh, still. And so in that, in that aspect, I don't think that he surprises me as much. I think I am way more surprised by, by Irvin Avila. Yeah, me as well. And it's mainly because, it, it, like, I actually had him in my potential 35-man squad for the mm -hmm. World Cup a few months ago. And the reason for that is I think he's actually a better vice Paolo than Farfanes. Um, better leaping ability. He's a bit taller, not by much. I think like by a couple of inches. Um, but he's more of a target man. He's someone who can get everybody else involved. And I think that's why Gadeka is giving him the call. But as you said, Christopher, I think that that's kind of a mistake because number one, he is the same age as Ruiz. 
Um, I think that it's still patching the hole that, frankly, you shouldn't really need to patch. I think it's time to experiment a bit more with another system. Um, and that, to me, is is the biggest sort of flaw in that call-up, if, in fact, Avina does get called up. Um, because I personally, and I'm forever going to advocate for this, I know Brian will disagree with me, but he's not here, so I'm going to go off. Um, because last week he had mentioned that players like Rui Diaz and Benevent, they really don't fit the Peruvian style, right? I'm, I'm paraphrasing, basically. It's not a direct mm -hmm. quote, but I personally believe that if those two players started, whether it's Benavente as the 10 or as a second striker just playing off of Rui Diaz, I think that would be fantastic for Peru. Um, Benavente gives you, I think, a little more improvisation. I think he gives you a little bit more flair and more consistency on the ball than Cueva does. Um, he's also in, I think, better conditioning than Cueva is. Uh, we kind of notice that at times Cueva can kind of start to decline after the 60th minute when it comes to his fitness and his stamina. Not really the case with Benevente. Maybe that's the fact that he's, I think, I mean, I don't want to stereotype just because he was born in Europe and he obviously had that maybe extra advantage because in Europe they're a little more advanced with, with their conditioning. But I think that Benavente is just someone who's kept better care of himself. And with Cueva, maybe we can go into this a bit later when we talk about Cueva and Peruvians abroad, but with Cueva not necessarily getting starters minutes at Krasnodar, it might be time to give Benavente a chance because I think he can offer you that little bit more of, of, of improvisation, more unpredictability, especially on the counterattack. Um, and I think he would suit Rui Diaz very well, someone who can latch onto chances and finish. Because um, I personally think that, as, as I've said many times, Rui Diaz is the best pure finisher Peru has had in quite some time. And I think it would be somewhat moronic not to at least try him out for an extended period. If it doesn't work, fair enough. We can put that to bed. But until we see that for a consistent run of games, I think it would be foolish not to at least try it out. Um, I don't know what you guys think. If you guys want to jump in, go ahead. But yeah, so so let me let me jump in here. Uh, let's just be careful of not falling into the trap that you know Benavente and Cueva are the same. I think that I have heard some opinions out there of people saying basically like take Cueva out for Benavente. That's it. I think that obviously there needs to be some shifting. I, I really like the idea that you're proposing of having Ruidias up top, Benavente helping him out, either a second striker. I that, there seems something, something in my mind that that makes me kind of think that that would work. But I, I think that we would probably have to shift things a little bit. Um, I and I don't know. Is Gareca willing to do such a thing? Gareca yeah. seems to like to stick to the same thing. But if anything, this is a great time to experiment. Yeah. Uh, I, but also to re reinforce your point, nobody's trying to be, you know, say the Europeans are better or whatever. But yeah, I mean, they, they do play a different style of, of football and he was raised under a different style of football. Uh, than what you know is typical to Peru, and, and I think the Benavente can offer some of that to the national team. I mean, that's something that's also been pointed out by people for years and years now that he has different moves, uh, especially when he doesn't have the ball, and uh, how kind of, kind of he he moves around the field in different ways than uh, 
then the native Peruvians, um, Peruvian style, you know, players would. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that I'm I'm open to that to that possibility for sure. Yeah, it's it's just like I, I understand what you're saying and that like the movements are different. I'm trying to figure out what it is exactly that differs them, but there's just something that when I watch Benevente and then I watch Cueva right after, which I did when I was doing Peruvians abroad, mm-hmm. and I'm like, there's just like there's those intricate details that just seem to almost captivate me when I watch Benevente play, especially on the counterattack. Um, that I think can't be mentioned enough. I was watching him in his recent match for Charleroi and those runs forward, my, my, my friends, like I, I, I was speechless watching it really. Um, pretty much. And you know, okay, he doesn't fit the Peruvian style, but that doesn't mean you can't adapt the system. I think eventually right. you have to try it out. So people who are just stubborn and saying, well, you know, th- they can't play because they don't fit our style. We're not married to one formation. We're not right. married to one style of play, especially for these friendlies. Try it out, right? And I really do hope that more so Ruidias than Benavente, because I think if Benavente doesn't play, it's not the end of the world, but I really want to see either or both of those players get a run of games to see what they can do because just playing them once and then taking them out, what can you really glean from that? Right. Um, it's, it's, I, I think it's a precarious situation, but again, we'll see, especially if Benavente gets called up. Um, while we're on the subject, let's move on to Peruvians abroad and talk about Christian Cueva um, because I have a question to propose to both of you and maybe you guys will have different thoughts, but um, Cueva, as I mentioned, is not, starting for Krasnodar. Um, part of that had to do with his fitness to start out because he came back from the World Cup. He joined preseason late. Um, obviously adapting to Russia and all that, it's going to be tough. Um, but considering his current situation, would it be the wisest move to take him out of the 11 for either or both of these friendlies and maybe trying somebody else? Let's say a, a Christian Benavente, for example. Um, Michelle, what do you think? Hmm. I mean, look, if you're not starting in your for your club and if you're not getting much game time, then what like how much use are you gonna to be to your national team as well? Like you probably don't have the fit the same fitness levels anymore. Um and you know, yes, you'd still have like the same skills, but like, you know, the game is always changing and, and, you know, things are always moving forward. So I think, you know, probably best to leave him out. Like if he's not going to play, like, obviously it's not his fault that he's not playing, but, you know, like, why isn't he playing? (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty much the question. Uh, Christopher, what do you think? Well, well, I, I have personally been worried about Cueva's fitness ever since since uh, I got to see him live at the at the friendlies in March mm-hmm. because on TV you do not realize that he has a little bit of a belly, a little <laughs> bit of a beer belly. Just saying, <laughs> just saying. I started live and I was like, wait, is this the same guy? You sure you didn't give me the doppelganger? Like. Uh, and it's just not your stereotypical, you know, uh, professional athlete per se. Um, but of course, I mean, he's, he's always compensated for with whatever, you know, whatever fitness, 
whatever fitness he was lacking, he's been able to compensate some of that with, with his game. He's pretty good, but it is it is worrying. I mean, we kind of had similar worries with Trauco just a right. few months ago. You know, he's sitting on the bench, you know, week after week after week. He comes to the national team, and you can tell that he's not at his best. Um, and so, yes, I, I do not think that, you know, I mean, I think that you can still call him up. Uh, he can be with the national team. He can play uh, one out of the four halves that we're going to be playing. You know, I, I don't know. Give him some playing time, whatever, because he could use some playing time also. But, yeah, you know, why, why not give give someone else a try? Um, I do like that Gareca does seem to, to use the strategy of sitting someone down once in a while to let him know that, you know, we love you, but we, we expect a little bit more of you. I... I think that the the, the the Renato Tapia example from the last call-ups is, uh, is relevant, right? I think Tapia had, you know, could offer more to, to the national team, to the club. Things seem to be a little bit off. And so Gareca said, you know, just stay home. We'll, we'll see you next time around. Um, and I think, I think that that can, to a certain extent, really motivate the players to do something else too. Definitely. Um, we got a question, speaking of potential call-ups and who's going to get called up and whatnot, um, and it's from Abel Gamarra at Abelanda81 asking us, which Peruvian League players uh, do you think will be called up? Um, Christopher, I'll start with you on this. Oh, Peruvian League. Peruvian okay. League. Well, let's, let's think about this. Um, center backs, we have plenty right. abroad. Mm -hmm. uh, Midfielders, we have, yeah, we have, we're fine. Also, I mean, like, <laughs> would be kind of like, okay, so what positions do we need reinforcements that we wouldn't be able to reinforce with people abroad? Okay, so therefore, once I, I'm not trying to say that. Well, okay, I am trying to say that usually the ones abroad are abroad because they're better than the ones in Peru. But first, you look abroad, and then you kind of turn your eyes back to the to the league. Let's see if there's anyone that's really distinguishing themselves. Um, I think that that's kind of what Gareca did at the last friendlies. I think these friendlies, he probably he might have a different mentality. I think that this friendlies might probably be about the people abroad and not so much about the people at home like last friendlies. Uh, as such, I don't, know, not, I don't know if there's any particular names that come to mind about uh, local players. I don't know if you have anything, Peter. Um, I kind of anticipate Marcos Lopez getting recalled. Um, but other than that, it could really be a toss up. Like Calcaterra could come back. Um, sure. I think Gareca is kind of high on him because he can give him a little bit more in the midfield, something that they're kind of lacking that, that player who can bring the ball forward, progress it. Um, but otherwise, you know, maybe, and I think this might be more down the line, but maybe like a Jairo Concha somebody else from the under 20s. Um, but I imagine that with the Sudamericano coming up in a few months, maybe he wants them to just focus on the under 20s, do that, and then maybe for March, give them an opportunity, I don't know. But I mean, as we kind of saw with the September call-ups, it's kind of a toss up in terms of which domestic players will be included in the squad. Like not a lot of us expected to see Calcaterra or Johan Madrid or, or Lopez. Um, Patricio Alvarez, although maybe his was a little bit more opportunistic because of the fact that there's really no other 
informed second or third string goalkeeper. Um, but yeah, I mean, it could really get toss up at this point. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised to see anybody else. Just, just put it that way. Um, but yeah, as for right names at the top of my head, I could just imagine maybe Lopez getting a recall, especially because mm-hmm. he's been in decent form for Cristal again, um, assisted one of the goals in, in that game against Alianza the other day. So definitely right. carrying that confidence into Cristal, which is kind of what I wanted to see. And so good on him for doing that. Um, switching over to proving the broad again, Luis Advincula scoring his first goal for Rayo uh, as they drew today with Real Sociedad after a pretty horrendous 5-1 defeat to Alaves over the weekend, although Rayo were reduced to 10 men. Um, that is now, I want to say, four or five straight starts for Advincula since making his full debut. And given his monstrous performances at the World Cup with the September friendlies, um, the fact that he's playing in La Liga and contributing for that team right away, clearly that is th- that is a huge positive. So, um, Michelle, I guess just your general thoughts on Advincula's continued improvement thus far in the early stages of the La Liga season? Oh, it's great he got a goal. It's awesome. Good to see. Um, yeah, I, I think he seems really, really happy at his club, um, which I think helps a lot, um, not just with your mental health, but also like with how you want to play the game. So I think, um, you know, he's always looking to improve and he's always like wanting to do his best and be the best that he can be like on the pitch. And so I think that has a lot to do with how he feels about the club and how he feels about his teammates. And so I think it's all really positive for him at the moment. Um, You know, it's great. He's got a goal, obviously like, the team sport, so they, they they need to work together to to get the W, as people say. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, um, team is pretty positive at the moment. So yeah, yeah. Even if you just look at his social media accounts, you can see that he's bonding with teammates. He's you know dancing, singing as we usually see Lucho do. Um, <laughs> that's great to see. Uh, and the fact that he's in Madrid. Look, there could be worse places to be, right? Especially when you were in 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 Mexico, in in Puebla. You go from Puebla to to Madrid. That's kind of a, a pretty dramatic change, right? A change in scenery. So, uh, good to see him scoring and and continuing to improve on his current form. Switching gears to South America, Miguel Trauco. My God, he was back in the starting lineup and got two assists. I, like I, I had to almost. You know, pinch myself and, and be like, what is going on? Like, not only did he start, he was involved in both of their goals. Um, and interesting fact, actually, he now has more assists, uh, four to be exact, in five games than Rene, who's the usual starter at left back. He has three in 23 games. So, I mean, that's kind of a huge indictment in terms of Rene and what he can bring uh, offensively. Now, the one criticism of Trauco has been defensively, even when he was in form last year and obviously was monstrous for both club and country. Um, I did a quick Twitter search after Trauco's performance just to see what Flamengo fans were saying. Um, Because at the beginning of the year, they were very down on him and they said, yeah, look, he's a sieve defensively. We can't really trust him. Um, I think that the coaching staff are making the right choice here. But after that game, a lot of them have seemingly changed their minds and they think, listen, 
What we may sacrifice defensively with Trauco, there's no denying the team offensively is so much better with him on the pitch. Um, so I hate to ask this just for one game, Christopher, but mm-hmm. like, could this possibly help him rekindle some of that confidence and that form that we saw last year, um, especially considering that the the entire calendar year really has not gone according to plan? No, yes, of course. I think that, first of all, gaining your coach's trust off the pitch and then when you get your chance, just killing it the way that he did, I, I think that has to be really, really, really good for him. I um, have not followed Rene's career very closely, but it seems like Brian has, and Brian always complains <laughs> about his form. And it's like, oh, that guy is terrible. That guy is terrible. So just, I mean, just from the stats that you commented on just a second ago, yeah, that, that gives me a lot of hope uh, on Trauco, especially with the with the year that he had last year. Holy cow. And we were just expecting so much of him uh, during the World Cup and after the World Cup. And unfortunately, things played out the way that they did. So, so yeah, I am I'm confident that this could be this could be a decent turning point for him. Um, and yeah, hopefully it leads to, to bigger and better things. But of course we, you know, you, you, we're, we're just making hopeful predictions here. Obviously he's only played one game so far. Right. So uh, yeah. So who knows? Definitely. We'll round out uh, the Peruvians abroad segment by going from Brazil to Argentina where Luis Abram and Miguel Araujo actually faced each other. Uh, for Vélez and Talleres over the weekend. Both of them put in very solid performances at centre-back. Abraham, though, actually kind of switched from time to time from left-back to centre-back, did very well in both roles. Um, We've heard about Abraham's form since he went to Argentina. From Cristal, he's been fantastic. Uh, But Araujo has kind of taken like a fish to water in Argentina in the few appearances he's had. It looks like he hasn't put in a foot wrong yet. Um... We all know, guys, about the competition at centre-back for this team. Um, If Alexander Cayens gets called up, that throws another name into the mix. Uh, There's obviously the whole Jean-Pierre Reiner situation, which it's looking like he's not going to get called up. Um, Mm -hmm. But if, let's say, he changes his mind and Peru calls him up, there's another name. Um, Michelle, I want to ask you this because you play, obviously. Um, So you will maybe understand those competitive juices and whatnot. Um, but how important is it for both of these players, Araujo and Aram, to be performing at a high level in a quality league, all the while knowing that there is a competition for places as the Copa America looms, as well as the World Cup qualifying cycle looming? I mean, okay, I played Division 5 football, right? So I'm playing like the lowest league because I <laughs> want to be the best. Okay. <laughs> so just so you know, that that's that's... I, I play really well, but I play the lowest league, so I look better than I am. Um, but in saying that, I'm not going to be getting looked at by any scouts because I'm playing such a low level. Like, no one, no one's going to be looking at this level thinking, oh, maybe we can give her a call-up, you know, maybe we can give her a trial at Sydney FC, which would be amazing, but also not. Um, just throwing that out there just in case they're listening. Exactly. Listen, Scott. Listen, I'm, I'm available. Just let me know. <laughs> Little ring here. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? So it's like you want to be playing top level so that people know how good you are. 
Um, so it's harder when you're playing in a league that maybe isn't known for its quality because how are people going to notice you? How are people going to see you? Um, you know, like Brian watches all these, like he's watching the uh, Asian champions stuff or whatever. He's watching all the stuff. 17 Asian uh, qualifiers. He's been paying more attention to the Australian team than I have, you know? <laughs> and it's like... Oh. There are going to be people who do notice these these things, but it's also like it's a very niche group of people who are watching. Um, and so if you're playing in a league that might not be amazing, then your chances of like getting a call up or, you know, being heard of are, are quite slim, in, in my opinion. So. For sure. For sure. Um, and it definitely helps that they're playing at – Couple of pretty reputable clubs, Veles especially. Obviously, Gareca has a connection there. Recommended uh, Abram to Gabriel Hinse, who has clearly done wonders with him because Abram looks like a completely different player since leaving Cristal. We all kind of thought that, oh, he's stagnating a little bit. Is he really national team quality? Well, I think uh, those doubts have been put to rest, certainly. Um, and also of note for Araujo, which Brian actually alerted me to this in the WhatsApp group chat. Um, Araujo and Talleres are actually going to be playing Copa Libertadores next year. They qualified because of what happened in the previous season. So it'll be interesting to see what Araujo does with a slightly better team than Alianza. Um, because he was probably one of the few players who you could say deserved some credit, some positive credit for what he did. Um, because very few Alianza players, I think, were in that similar situation. They were dreadful. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they what he can do with a more reputable side, a team that could possibly make the knockout stage too. Um, maybe a European move could be in, in the offing if he does well. Uh, but for now, certainly doing well in the early stages, that's good to see. Uh, let's switch to the domestic game because Lau, their last couple of results have not really gone according to plan. Um, it looked like that things are maybe on the up. Their new signings were going to help them clear relegation and look forward to next season. Not so much the case, especially after the last result, they drew of course with uh, San Martin who have started the season well. Um, and they are still very much in that fight for the relegation zone. Um, Michelle, I want to ask you this being the Lau fan. Um, and we also didn't really get to ask you last week because you weren't on the show. Um, but do you think with these new signings, with that extra added quality that they still have the possibility to get out of this? Or do you think that they're doomed regardless? Um, I think a lot of people think that they're doomed, but I also walk into like every team with like blind faith that everything will be okay eventually. Um, so it's hard to say, cause I, I think, you know, they've had some good games and they've won and then they've also just like played awful and just kind of like scraped by. So I think, I think it's hard to say, but I, I, I think, you know, that there is going to be a very, like, it, it's a struggle. It's going to be a struggle if they want to, you know, you know, trying to, to get out of relegation, but like, um, I mean, at this point it's like, Maybe it's what they need, you know, maybe they need to like sort of reconvene and, and figure everything out with a new perspective. Um, and I think if they do get relegated, like that's probably their 
their best opportunity to to sort of take a step back and be like, what the hell just happened? Um, if that makes any sense. So it does. And it actually segues nicely into what I wanted to ask Christopher. Um, because as we all know, their financial problems and their ownership problems have plagued this team for decades and decades. Um, Christopher, do you think that if, and let's just throw this out there, if they get relegated, which at this point might not happen, but considering they're only one point out of the relegation zone, it's a very real possibility. Let's say they get relegated. Do you think that this will help them in any way solve their, at least their temporary ownership problems? Maybe the licensing committee can take them over. They can go into administration and then figure it out from there. Do you think that could possibly help them do this? I, I would hope so. I would hope so. I mean, I would base this case on, on precedent in South America, especially with stuff like River, River Plate mm -hmm. going down to the second division. Uh, of course, we know they're currently not the most solid team uh, in Argentina still, but the things get better, yes. I think that when you have a, a, a team that is so popular, uh, things all of a sudden you fans that, you know, hadn't connected with a team in a while will, will come j jump in the boat, right? We got to save the team. We got to save the team. Um, I personally don't think uh, that it's a bad thing. Uh, I think that that would, first of all, it's going to bring everybody's eyes to the problem, right? All those people that are distracted and thinking about other things. They're going to decide to come in. They're going to, you know, be seeing what happens, you know, with Lau in the second division, something that hasn't happened since really Alianza went down, like in 1939 or something. One of the, you know, they've both been in the first division. Um, uh, I think that hopefully that will bring more club, more money into the club, and thus uh, things will take a turn for the better. I, I'm usually very optimistic. Uh, myself regarding all of that uh, and, and I do believe that Grinko is trying to just pull, pull the club apart is trying to destroy the club I, I, I honestly think that those those guys are there for the money and they just want their money and and that's it I, I honestly do not think they have any love of the game they see Universitario just like some other asset as if it was just some plot of land somewhere where they can just, you know, like, let's just put, you know, we don't want to invest too much, but we want to get our money back. So whatever it is that can get Gremko out of the picture, I will be more than happy with. By the way, for those who don't know, Gremko is a club, or not the club, but the, but the company that uh, currently owns Universitario because of outstanding debts that the club had with the organization and, and with other parties. Um, so that's that's kind of my hope. Uh, then again, you could also see a situation kind of like Deportivo Municipal, who go from the first division to the second to Copa Peru to their like district league and back back up the pyramid. And it took him a few years. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what Peruvian soccer would be like without Universitario for like five seasons. I mean. <sighs> First of all, Alianza fans would never like let him forget that. Obviously. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> but 
But like I said, I, I don't know. I, I think they're going down to the lower divisions with less pressure sometimes, with more, you know, popular support can can be really positive for the club. So that's that's kind of what I what I would like to see. But then again, they might not go down. Let's yeah. hope they don't go down for the sake of soccer, for the sake of everything that's dear to us. Let's hope they don't go down. For the sake of my happiness. Yes. yes. Most importantly. Um, <laughs> I mean, every time this topic comes up and this is the exact same conversation I had with, with family and whatnot when river plate was going through their struggles in 2011. I just kind of think, Oh, there's no way river plate goes down. They're too big of a club to go down that something will happen. They'll be fine. And right. I'm feeling the same way with Lau and thinking that Peruvian football isn't Peruvian football without one of those, you know, big three. Right. And obviously Universitario, especially because they've won more titles than anybody. They're a traditional club. Tons and tons of fans. Um, obviously a big part of the Peruvian football landscape and its history. To see them go down would almost feel like but like you're almost losing a child. I know that sounds kind of really intense, but like I mean I, I can't yeah, describe yeah. it. Like it's it's crazy to me that they could possibly go down. Uh, but it's a very real possibility. If if they don't win against Ayacucho, um, who's another relegation candidate that might be the beginning of the end for them, I'm afraid, uh, especially with 10 mm -hmm. games left and the fact that they still need to make up a couple of points, you would imagine. Um, on that subject, actually, we did get a question about the relegation battle itself, and it's from Abel Gamara, again, asking, who is your candidate to join Comerciantes Unidos? And he mentioned a note in here, it's only a matter of time, um, in being relegated with them. Uh, so, Christopher, who is your second candidate to go down even a few weeks ago if you had asked asked me that i, I would have said ayacucho okay. all of a sudden things like ayacucho got strength out of nowhere and uh they're actually doing fine if i'm not mistaken they're what like uh first or second in the overall standing on the not in the overall standings but in the clausura standings right now yeah somewhere there uh i don't know that that is a tough question right now because i see um I see boys, I see Union Comercio. It's really going to take a minor, little tiny slip up from one of those four clubs, boys, Universitario, Comercio, or Ayacucho, for them to, at the end of the day, um, go down. The other interesting situation, which I, maybe would be a little bit more fair, but less likely would be if somehow a few of these tied in points, and then we had to have a relegation playoff. Oh, wow. I, I don't know. I think that would attract a lot of fans. That would be quite interesting. We've had it in previous years. We've had it in previous years. Um, obviously with two clubs, not with four. But uh, but if anything, I, I, there's you know something in me says that, that that's not – I mean, honestly, 36 points with Sport Boys right now. Universitario mm -hmm. 35, Union Comercio 35, Ayacucho 34. You could very much see something like this happen. We're going to have to keep our sharp eyes peeled open, sharp for the games that these teams will play against each other because obviously that will determine a lot also. Yeah, and I was actually looking at that when I was kind of wondering who could possibly go down. And I know that they kind of had a brief resurgence, especially at the end of the Apertura, but Union Comercio to me could be in trouble here. Um, not only did they lose to Alianza, um, yes, they beat Cristal, that was great, but they lost to San Martin. And then their next couple of games are as follows. Uh, Deportivo Municipal 
They then face Ayacucho, which will be a massive game. But then mm -hmm. they have Garcia Lasso away. They have Juan Cayo at home. Uh, they, they obviously get a break facing Comerciantes, but then they're hosting Binacional, um, which will never be obviously a, an easy game. And then they have to go to Arequipa to face Melgar. So yeah, those next like five, six games are so treacherous for them. A um, couple of home games in there against the bigger team. So maybe they could squeak a result out there. But I mean, against Moncayo, are, are they really going to struggle in, in those conditions? Maybe not. Um, they are, to me, the team that's most in trouble, especially because, look, all these teams concede a lot of goals, but Union Comercio recently have also struggled to score them. And I know that sounds very simplistic. You're conceding a lot. You're not scoring enough. You're going to go down. But that's the situation. Mix that in with the tough schedule. Um I mean, I could change my mind in a couple of weeks, but as of this point, they're the team that concerns me the most. Um, Michelle, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Fun. Yes or no, do you think Laul gets relegated? Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow, what a question. Um, I'm going to say no. Okay, interesting. Christopher, what do no. you think? Yes or no? Uh, I'll, I'll try not to rant too much, but you know, they have like Lau is más grande que sus problemas, Lau mm -hmm. is bigger than their problems. There's another saying that says, No hay Peru sin Lau, there's mm -hmm. no Peru without the U. So that's that. Hopefully, that answers that. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement with you guys. I just I can't see it. I'm probably going to eat my words in, in a month or two, but for now, I'm, I'm still pretty confident. This is a River Plate situation. They can't go down. There's no way. Yeah, no, no, something's going to, yeah. Something's going to happen. Maybe the government will interfere. We all know how people use Something will happen. Oh, hey, you know, Ayacucho has a 10-point deduction. Look at that. For financial, oh, financial oh. problems, you know? Would you be surprised if that happened? A team suddenly, oh, they got financial problems, uh, eight or nine points off. Sorry. I mean, I mean, you have stuff like Real Garcilaso last season, who was basically, you know, going to play the playoff against Alianza, and then like, the, you know, like a day before the final match, they were like, oh, remember that like one case we had like seven months ago? Yeah, you lose a point. That's what's going to happen, I guarantee you. It's not that Lou like avoids it by playing well. Another team is going to get mysteriously dock points. I mean, Christopher would know this. It's possible. Rosario, yeah, so. we did not see that coming. Something happened while we were distracted in the World Cup and what us, and then four points, gone. <laughs> Magically into the night. Just yep. mm -hmm. Just gone. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that'll probably do it for us. So I guess we'll recap by giving up or giving out, excuse me, our Twitter profiles. Uh, so Michelle, if you want to give out your Twitter and any shout outs, go ahead. Oh, any shout outs, you say. Yes. Okay, yes. go subscribe to Michelle Morris TV. There's a documentary on uh, Peru qualifying uh, for the World Cup that I filmed uh, in Sydney and in New Zealand. Uh, so feel nice. free to check that out. Uh, it's Ooh. quality, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter at, at Michelle A. Morris. I might actually link to that in the Peruvian Waltz. Give you a little boop bump there. Uh, got a, uh, Christopher, what about you? Uh, well, my beloved Sport Ancash is officially out of competition. We have one game to go, but it will be for the honor, you know, for, for finishing strong. But we had a pretty good season. Uh, unfortunately, there was, you know, some, some bumps along the way in this national stage of the Copa Peru tournament. But uh, as usually, give him a shout out. We lost two to one. Uh, at home this weekend uh, but yeah 
yeah, there's much better things to come, I'm sure, next year. So, anyways, my Twitter handle is viz underscore fc. All righty, and you can follow me, Peter Galindo, at Galindo PW, and don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Peru Waltz, and subscribe to us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, all the platforms you get your podcasts on. Uh, and do leave a, a five-star review and just a general write-up on what you like or don't like about the show because it would really help us mm. boost the profile of the podcast. So for that, this is the Peruvian Waltz team. We are signing off. Corubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas. Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.